the music that we have had this morning, including obviously what we had the first hour, is that it touches on a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about this morning. Our theme is a king is born. And as we consider this king who was born, one thing I'd like to just ask us all to do, one of the things that we can kind of get caught up in, depending on our perspective on things, is kind of the extremes of Christmas, I might call it. One would be um, kind of thinking of Christmas and the times when maybe we have had those who we have lost or something like that, or maybe even loneliness. And that can be one extreme. The other extreme can be all of the, say, giddiness, right, with gifts, especially the young people here wondering what you might have under the tree. Uh, you know, some of us were, were really caught up in, you know, the competition between neighbors and decorating or any number of things like that. And so we kind of have these extremes. By the way, there's nothing necessarily wrong with either one of those. They're a part of the holidays. They can be. But what I want us to do is really kind of center on the middle, the central theme of what Christmas is about this morning, and that's Christ himself, all right? And I think that we can all hopefully join in on that and, and, and um, consider that. So as, as we think about Christ our King, the Lord declared back in the Garden of Eden that the seed of the woman would one day destroy Satan and evil. So Christ was even hinted about prophetically in the garden. God gave us all kinds of pictures of the Messiah through the Old Testament, through events like the Passover and the exodus from Egypt, talking about really salvation, right? Through the object lessons like the brass serpent, the tabernacle, and the yearly sacrifice of atonement applied to the mercy seat. And through direct visits of the Son of God, prior to him taking on flesh. We know, for example, that when God appeared to Moses, it was actually the pre-incarnate Christ that came, the angel of the Lord. And Moses recognized him, acknowledged him as God. The Lord also gave his word to Israel through the prophets that the Messiah, the anointed one or chosen one, would someday come. And we know that Jesus is God, and the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are equal in every way except in their function within the Trinity. And so we know that there were some specific things that Messiah, God the Son, was to do. So how did God the Son, heir of all creation, enter the world? We have a somewhat recent uh, event that we can kind of compare to Christ's coming or maybe contrast to Christ's coming. And that was several years ago, Prince William and uh, Kate's first child, uh, Prince George, came into the world. There were thousands that waited just to hear the news at Buckingham Palace. Thousands. There was the official announcement with the town crier. And if that's not a town crier, I don't know what is, <laughs> right? So this was a very official pronouncement that this child had been born. And then you can see all the activity that took place when they first came out to present the child in public, all right? Cameras everywhere. And by the way, this is only half of that little street. If you panned over to the other side, it would look just like this with tons of cameras and, and video cameras and all those other things, wanting to get a peek, wanting to be able to take pictures of that event. It was worldwide news, correct? 
But Christ was born in obscurity. Think about that. Think about that. The king of heaven coming down, God of this universe, God the Son, was born in obscurity. Luke 2, verses 6 and 7 say this, And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, that is, there in Bethlehem. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I don't know exactly what that um, manger scene looked like, but Jesus was probably born in either a cave or a smaller barn-like building used to shelter animals. That's, that's where he was born. Mary gave birth to him and wrapped him in the, the uh, cloth strips and placed him in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. Can you imagine Prince William being born and they say, oh no, we don't have the normal hospital things. We're going to put him in an animal feeding trough. Right? And I say Prince William, Prince George, it was his son, but anyway. So this is how he came into the world. Baby Jesus was also, as he was lying in a manger, was a sign that God gave to the shepherds to authenticate which child was Christ, the Savior. Luke 2, 11 and 12 tells us this. For there is born to you this day, as the angel was declaring to this group of shepherds, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So if you think about it, uh, there probably weren't any other newborns in all of Bethlehem that were wrapped in cloth, and that, that would not have been unusual, but lying in a feed trough. So it was going to be very obvious that this was Jesus, that this was God's son. So a small group of shepherds were the only witnesses to the newborn king, God himself, come in the flesh. And they were included only because God sent angels to them. They weren't looking for him. Can you imagine, though, the overwhelming joy of that experience? I really believe that these shepherds knew the full gravity of what they were experiencing as far as a human could. That, that they were able to have witness to the birth of Jesus, to the birth of the one that so much was foretold about. The text tells us that the shepherds proclaimed across Bethlehem exactly what they were, who they were told the baby was. So the message that they received from the angels, they, they went around telling everybody. It says that people marveled. They were shocked by this message. And this doesn't mean that they were shocked like, wow, that's so amazing. It was more like they were shocked about, whoa, uh, those guys have this fantastically unbelievable story. I mean, do you hear this stuff? Someone might have even said something like, those boys have been out with the sheep a little too long, right? The Messiah was born, and he's lying in a feed trough. John told us the people's reaction wasn't much different for Jesus' entire life. In John 1, uh, sorry, no, 
that John 1 verses 10 11 says, He was in the world and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. Wow. So he was born in obscurity, but he was also born a servant. A king born to serve. Mark 10, 45 says this, For even the Son of Man, Jesus speaking himself, said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Well, how did he do that? How did he serve? He proclaimed the gospel, the good news of himself, wherever he went. He healed many. He raised the dead. And he also corrected the corrupt teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. That in and of itself was also a very kind and loving act of service. Right? To set people, not just to put them on the right course, but to correct them from the wrong course. We see some descriptions of this in the Gospels. In Mark uh, chapter 6, I might have the wrong thing there. We're okay, I have the wrong verse here, but that's all right. And when Jesus and his disciples came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through the whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. You see the transition there? It starts off with they recognized who he was, but then it kind of transitions over into this happened wherever he went, and then it continues. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or in the country, that's like city, suburbs, out in the boonies, right? Wherever he was. They laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that, that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. That's, that's a couple of verses here that are just packed with meaning that we really don't always get that flavor of through the New Testament, right? Through the Gospels. Because they're primarily about his message and the events that are surrounding his life we see those different things, but this really puts together, this was happening constantly. How could that continue to be written, right? And, and us have this other information, and we actually have an explanation of that from John 20. John 20, verse 30 and 31 say this, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen. So we not only have the fact that we have written what we have written, but it's written for a purpose, and that's a purpose is so that we will believe. But there were many things that are not included. And then what, did, what does the next passage say in John 21, 25? And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that will be written. And that, that's just some hyperbole, folks. All right, that's, that's, a, that's a you know literary device. But the point is this, he did so much. How could it all be recorded? That's the point of all of it. So wherever he went, wherever he went, he was serving others. Now, I don't expect you to be able to see this real well, but if you see all those squiggly lines in there, not the real thick ones, but the squiggly ones, this is representing... The, the paths up that Christ took, and sometimes more than once. And so you can see he was all over, all over 
the, 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 what we would call Canaan or, or the promised land or whatever, but the land of the Jews. He was in all those different regions. So the Gospels are a collection of a few of the events in Christ's life, but they hardly even scratch the surface. These verses help us realize that Jesus consistently and in a variety of ways ministered to others wherever he traveled. That was just what he was about. So he was born in obscurity. He was born to serve, but he was also born to die. Now, we're not born to die. We will die, but he was appointed unto death. That was the reason why he came, one of those reasons. Of all of the acts of service that Jesus was to show as the Messiah, the fact that the Son of God came as the Savior was the greatest act of service. He was born to die. Mark 10.45 says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. We read that earlier. And then it goes on to say, And to give his life a ransom for many. A ransom. He, he had to, to buy us back. John 10 says this, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. This is why he came. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Christ came for the, one of the purposes of dying for us. And we're going to see another one in just a moment. But I want us to understand the gravity of this. Here, here is this king of heaven, as we talked about, that God the Son. N nothing at all to diminish him as far as his comparison to the Father in character. Yet he humbled himself, the scriptures tell us, and became a man. He gave up all of that glory so that he could give his life for us. But he didn't come just to die. He was also born to reign. A king born to reign. Isaiah foretold the coming child and the purpose of his coming in chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. It says, For unto us... A child is born unto us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder. He's going to be the one who's going to carry the government. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You know, there's a lot of proclamations that God makes that don't end with that sentence. <laughs> this one does. And it's, it's a major punctuation mark. It is an exclamation. Hey, in my zeal, in my enthusiasm, my son's going to reign. But that's also why he was born. Do you see that in that passage? We see the angel Gabriel announce the same thing as he spoke to Mary. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign um, ever, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And that's from Luke 1. Even before Pilate, right up to the time of his crucifixion, Jesus was proclaiming why he came. John 18, verses 36 and 37, this is going to be very familiar to you. And Jesus answered, answered Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus said, you say rightly that I'm a king. Can you imagine? I'm sorry, it's, it's the scene. Here's this mere man who thinks he's in authority. By the way, Jesus told him, you only have the authority given to you by God. Right? I mean, Jesus told him that elsewhere in this conversation. So he's like, so you're a king? Right? <laughs> Again, that really goes back to his obscurity, doesn't it? You say rightly that I am a king, for this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Wow, what an amazing statement. So where does this bring us this morning? Luke 2.10 tells us this, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Again, this was the message that the heralding angel gave to the shepherds. See, this is the gospel in a nutshell, the good news of Christ. This child was born, the chosen one, who would be king forever. That's that good news. He is the Lord. In other words, this child is God. And he came as the Savior, the one who was going to rescue us from our sin. Jesus' birth was barely recognized on earth. Jesus came as a servant in both who he was and what he did. Jesus was born to die and to pay for the sins of many. Then Jesus rose from the dead and now reigns as king of kings. And here's what I want us to understand. Everyone who comes to Christ really comes in a similar way. We first don't recognize who Jesus is, right? We have no concept who he is. Maybe it's age. Maybe it's just, you know, uh, coming to Christ later in life and we don't really have any concept of, of, of what Jesus has really done for us. But we all start there. We don't seek him. He seeks us out. But Christ has, has already done a work on our behalf and God then draws us to himself to complete that work. We then recognize him as Savior and our Lord and Master. So let's expand on this idea, and this is really coming from, from, our, from our outline, right? Expanding on how we respond to this message, this good news of great joy. We believe that Jesus is very God come in human flesh. If we don't believe that Jesus is God, then we really can't have salvation. We have to recognize his deity. We recognize our sin, turn from it, and have faith that his work on the cross was sufficient and efficient to completely take away our sin 
and to make our relationship right with God. And we acknowledge him as our Lord, our rightful master, and obey him with the desire to please him with our lives. That's that conversion or that repentance. We turn away from our old life. We now turn to him and we serve him. It's interesting as we think of this idea of good news of great joy and what we've looked at in all these passages, Peter later said it like this in 1 Peter 6, 1 through 9. In this you greatly rejoice, though for now, though now for a little while, if indeed be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, that's the gospel, that's that good news, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Wow. This is, this is, Peter's acknowledging, you haven't even seen the Christ, but you love him. Well, why? Because of what he's done for us, right? Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the completion of it is what it's talking about, the salvation of your souls. That is when our salvation is made complete. So what we see in this passage is, uh, some of your translations say good tidings or good news of great joy. The gospel that brings amazing inexpressible joy. Folks, I just need to say, if you do not know Christ as your Savior this morning, you are missing out on the most joyful thing that you can possibly ever experience, which is God seeing your sin no more and only seeing through Christ what he has done for you. Removing your sin, removing the penalty of it, and having a restored relationship with the God of this universe, the one who created you. Now, I just got to say, in all fairness, you can kind of sit there and you can, you know, fold your arms and you can say, I don't believe it. I don't believe in him. I don't believe there is a God. And really, it's not relevant. He is. He exists. He came. He gave himself, and he will be your king regardless of what you choose. It's just a fact. So I want to encourage you, consider what Christ has done and respond in faith to him. The transforming good news of Christ gives us joy that we simply cannot express. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we consider what Jesus has done and as we've sung about what he has done, our focus today is just remembering. In some ways, even similar to how we remember uh, when we celebrate the Lord's table, that Christ has come. We're celebrating the gift of your Son. Entering this world, taking on flesh, We don't know how it all happened, but he somehow hid his glory when he was here. And the scriptures tell us very clearly that he came to do your will through the power of the Spirit. Which is exactly what we're supposed to do. 
Of course, your will for him was different than ours because we can't save ourselves. But we thank you. We thank you for this indescribable gift and inexpressible joy that we have in receiving him. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.